everyone. Welcome back to the seventh episode of Upset Factor. I'm your host, Lucas, and today we're going to be taking a look at a couple different things. First, we're going to be taking a look at what happened at Smash Factor X this year. And mainly, we're going to be focusing on the grand final set between Spargo and Sonics. And this set was very exciting because it was a bit of a rematch between the two players as they had very recently played at Gommel with Sonics taking the victory over Spargo. And the other thing I wanted to talk about is the rankings that were just recently released this week as they have been a very hot topic for the last month or so in the community with a lot of different people debating over who deserves the top spot between Akola and Spargo, as well as what players they think deserve to be in the top five and in the top 10 and so on. I think there are so many players right now that feel like they're top 10. So I was definitely very excited to see these rankings come out to see who actually earned those top spots. But before we get into that, let's just get right into what happened at Smash Factor 10. So getting into Smash Factor, before we start talking about the Grand Finals set at this tournament, I just want to say that if you haven't already watched a lot of the sets from this tournament, I highly recommend you do so because there were a lot of very exciting sets between a lot of top players. And in particular, if you're a fan of MKLeo and his Joker, I would highly recommend you watch the set between him and Gluttony, as well as the set between him and Spargo. And Specifically for the set between him and Spargo, this was a set that I think was very important because the last time these two played was at Wave Dash, and at that tournament, when MKLeo finally switched to Joker, he reverse 3-0'd Spargo, but this time it was a bit of a passing of the torch because Spargo was able to take the win over Leo on his Joker. This definitely felt like a very symbolic victory for him as even at wave dash though he is the higher ranked player he did lose and this time he was finally able to come out on top but that's enough for these sets let's just get into the grand finals so with grand finals for this tournament we had sonics coming from losers after losing to spargo in winners finals and spargo in winners and if you remember gommel this is very similar to that tournament except this time it wasn't Spargo that was coming from losers, it was Sonics. And so already Spargo was looking pretty good. And I think you can kind of talk about both the winner's final set and the grand final set together because both the sets were very similar. And while Sonics was able to come back for the first set of grand finals, the general gameplay between the two players was very similar between the two sets. And though there were some adaptations, the overall theme of the two sets, I think, were pretty similar. So I'm going to be talking about all three of the sets as a whole, the winner's finals, grand finals, and the grand finals reset. And rather than talk about the gameplay, like I've been doing for the last couple weeks, I'm going to be talking about mostly just what the sets mean going forward for these two players, because I think there were a lot of things that happened in these sets that were very exciting and are going to change the way a lot of people think about the matchup between these two players going into the tournaments to come. So the big thing for these three sets that I think was crucial to Spargo winning was the fact that he was able to adapt so much to Sonic's gameplay between Gommel and this tournament. 
unless I'm remembering this wrong, there was only about a week between the two tournaments and at Gommel, the set between these two players honestly looked like it was unwinnable for Spargo as Sonics was just catching every single option that Spargo was throwing out when he was trying to get back to stage. And it felt like unless Spargo was playing absolutely perfectly, there was nothing he could do against Sonic. And while he was showing some signs of life in the set at Gommel, it was definitely looking like he was going to have to go back to the drawing board and really figure out this matchup because if he's going to keep playing the characters that he's playing, he can't just keep doing the same thing every time, expecting that Sonics isn't going to adapt because Sonics is such a specialist with his character that once he figures out what he needs to do, he will just do it until the game is done. He is not the type to get impatient. He's not the type that seems to get frustrated. And while he has talked in interviews about getting a bit frustrated and kind of having doubts about his game plans, when he's in the zone, he's in the zone. And so with Spargo losing at Gommel and wanting to come back for the win at Smash Factor, he was definitely going to have to make some changes. And if you watch these sets, you know that he did. One thing that was a night and day difference between the Gommel set and this set was the fact that Spargo was actually able to get back to stage pretty frequently in these sets at Smash Factor. You could tell that he had realized how to get back to stage and how to combat the tools that Sonics was using. He was mixing up his timings a lot more and he was also using a lot of high recoveries this time. As at Gommel, Sonics was able to punish a lot of the recoveries that were coming from below stage because Mithra especially has a lot of time where she's just floating near the ledge after she uses her up B before she grabs. And this lets Sonics just throw down his spring from his up B with Sonic. And every time Spargo would try to get back, he would just get caught by the spring and it would either send him away from stage, which would mean he just couldn't recover because unless he saved his double jump, Pyron Mithra's recovery just isn't good enough to make it back from that. And or he would have to tech, which would give him the chance to reset the situation and up B again. But if Sonic's caught the tech and punished him, then he would just die anyways. And Sonic's didn't even really have to catch the tech because he could just send another spring down and bring the situation right back to where it was before Sparko got the tech. So going from that to how it was at this tournament was a huge change for Spargo, which in my opinion was the main reason that he was able to take the win in this matchup. Because obviously, in a game like Smash, where your goal is to get someone off of the stage into the blast zone, if you can't get back to the stage, how are you supposed to win? So yeah, with Spargo taking advantage specifically of the high recoveries with Pyra, it was looking like he had finally found a tool that was letting him mix up things enough so that he could go for the low recoveries if he needed to, but he could also always have the chance that he's going to go high, which would mean that Sonics has to plan accordingly. Because if he's caught in a position where he thinks that Spargo is going to go for a low recovery and then he goes high, he's not going to be in a good position to trap Spargo at the ledge, which gives him a good chance to get off the ledge and reset back to neutral. Another thing that was happening a lot of the time especially when Spargo first started to use these high recoveries, specifically using Pyra's side B to give him a hitbox that sort of protects him at the ledge. 
Sonics was just getting caught by that projectile a lot at the ledge, which was something that Spargo took advantage of quite a bit because that projectile really stays out for a long time and keeps Sonics in hit stun the whole time, which lets Spargo just get back to ledge for free. And while he does have to be careful because once you use this side B, you have to commit to it as you can't use any other moves other than your jump and your air dodge. If Sonics gets hit, you just get this for free. And usually, even if he doesn't get hit, it seemed like at least during this set, it was working pretty well. And moving on from the recoveries, but staying on the side B, another thing that Spargo was doing in this set, since a lot of Sonics' game plan just revolves around sitting in the corner and waiting for the right moment to spin dash into center stage and start his attack, Spargo was taking advantage of this and he was throwing out just a lot more random side Bs. At least it seemed random when you were viewing the set. I'm sure he was being a lot more calculated, but he was just throwing out a lot of those side Bs and it was definitely working because that wasn't something that he normally did in his sets leading up to this one at other tournaments and you could tell that Sonics was not ready for it as he was getting hit by these a lot and each one does quite a bit of damage and while this move doesn't kill until pretty late percents especially if you're spamming it a lot it definitely seemed like it was shaking Sonics up a lot because getting hit by that move doesn't feel good and it was kind of forcing him to play a bit more defensive and not in the way that he normally does where he's just sitting at the side and waiting for his moment. He was really having to avoid those projectiles and really choose when he can charge up his moves because if he just sat there and charged like he does a lot of the time, he's just going to get hit by the projectile and obviously you don't want that. So that was another big change and with this one, I could see that this tool might not be as useful going into other sets as the two players continue to play against each other, but mixing this in with the other tools that Spargo was using definitely seemed to work at least this time. And then finally, the other thing that Spargo was doing really well in this set that he wasn't doing so much at Gommel was similar to how MK Leo was able to beat Sonics at Wave Dash, he was just sitting at center stage a lot rather than going forward and attacking Sonics closer to the edge, which is a lot of the time kind of what Sonics wants you to do. And so Spargo would just sit at center stage, and since Pyra and Mithra have such huge hitboxes with their swords, he would just sit at center and throw out some hitboxes, and if he did it at the right time, or um, Sonics got impatient and just came to, Son and came to Spargo hoping that he would make a mistake, he would be ready and he would just get clipped by the hitboxes that Spargo was throwing out. And this was working wonders because he would usually be hitting with Pyra's up air or neutral air, which are huge and hit up, which would mean that Sonics was now in a juggle situation. And with Pyra having such good tools to juggle when opponents are above them, this was a huge, huge win for Spargo as he was just able to control the game completely at that point. It was very impressive to see all these huge adaptations that Spargo made playing against Sonics. And while it might not seem like this is a huge thing because you might think like, oh, he's just throwing out more side Bs or like, oh, he's just sitting in center stage and throwing out moves. Obviously, Sonics is going to get hit. But in reality, there's so many things that go into strategies like this. And especially when you're playing against a character like Sonic and a player like Sonics, 
you really have to have these strategies set in stone and you have to know what you're doing going into the set. Because if you don't and you start to lose and Sonic gets ahead, there's really not much you can do. And making these changes mid-set is much harder than thinking about it, knowing what you're going to do, and then applying it in the game. Because then you're sure of what you're doing and you're confident that it's going to work. And you could tell that this was definitely how Spargo felt because, like I said before, this set was night and day to the set at Gommel. And so yeah, Spargo was able to take the win, claiming the title of Smash Factor Champion, and he was also able to defend his country as he is from Mexico and Smash Factor is the premier major in Mexico. So this was definitely a feel-good victory for him, both for that reason and the fact that he was finally able to take the win against Sonics in this rematch. And so yeah, I highly recommend watching the winner's finals and the grand finals set between these two players at Smash Factor 10. The grand finals is pretty long because it was two sets and it is Sonic. No matter how good Sonic's is and no matter how well he can play a rushdown playstyle, when you're playing against Sonic, you have to assume that the games are going to be pretty long. So it was a pretty long set, but I just think if you're someone that appreciates the intricacies of top play, it's very exciting and a long set is never a bad thing. So yeah, I highly recommend watching that, but now we're going to move on to talking about the rankings this year. So getting into the rankings, I was very excited for these rankings to come out, as were a lot of people, because the relative skill differential between a lot of the top players right now is so, so small that it honestly feels like there are 20 or 30 players that could be in the top 10, which is a weird thing to say because obviously there can only be 10 players in the top 10, but there's just so many players that are so, so good and so consistent right now that it feels like they do deserve to be in the top 10, even if there can only be 10 players. And I say this because there are players like Debuzz or Udes or Zomba that barely cracked top 20 or top 30. And when you think about that and you see their performances at tournaments where they're consistently top eighting things or getting into grand finals, seeing those results and then seeing that they're, oh, they're 30th or they're 20th in the world is crazy. And even looking at the top five, I could probably list like 10 or 15 players that so many people would say are top five. And the reality is there just can't be that many people, but the relative skill level between all these players is just so close, which made this ranking season very exciting. So I'm just going to read some of the rankings in case you haven't seen them yet. And then we're going to go through some of the players that I think were notable inclusions, as well as some that people thought were surprising. I'm just going to read through the top 10. And then other than that, I'm just going to mention some notable players and their rankings, but I'm not going to go through the whole thing. So for number 10, we had Yoshidora, who is a Japanese player that Honestly, I was a bit surprised to see this high, but I also don't pay too much attention to all of the tournaments that happen in Japan. And so just knowing Yoshidora and knowing how good of a player he is, I wasn't too shocked by this, but it still was a bit surprising to me. And just going through some of his notable results, he got fifth at Kagaribi, which was the first tournament we talked about in this series. 
He got seventh at Battle of BC, and and he placed very well at a lot of other Japanese tournaments. So definitely a worthy spot in this top ten. But moving on, the next player at number nine is Shutan, and this is a player that I have seen a lot more. He's traveled more often to North America than some of the other Japanese players, and he has definitely had a very good season. He placed third at Battle of BC. He placed third at Crown the Third, and he also placed very well at a lot of other Japanese tournaments. And he has been a top player for a very long time, so I'm definitely not surprised by his inclusion. But yeah, it's cool to see another Japanese player so high, as I feel like a lot of people, at least before this year, tend to forget how good the players from Japan are. And so moving on to number eight, we have Riddles, a Toronto native like myself, and he had a really good season. I'm not surprised to see him this high as he has been someone that the community has generally agreed is top 10. And so some of his notable placements, he had 5th at Gommel, he had 17th at Battle of BC, 7th at Kagaribi, and he had 7th at Let's Make Big Moves. And he placed very well at a lot of the other tournaments this season with some pretty big wins on a lot of top players. And so yeah, Definitely a worthy spot at number eight, but moving on to number seven, we have MK Leo, and I think this is a good ranking for Leo. He definitely didn't have as good of a season as he has had in other years. He did have some pretty big wins, winning Wave Dash, and he did get first at Genesis 9, but his other placements were not quite to the caliber that he was used to in other seasons though they were still very, very good, placing 13th at Battle of BC, 5th at Crown the Third, and 9th at Gommel, 9th at Collision, 4th at Let's Make Big Moves, and so yeah, pretty great season, even though it wasn't quite to the heights that he might be used to. But moving on, number 6, we have Light, and this is another one that people were not surprised about. Light has been a consistent top player for a couple years now, honestly, and he didn't have a huge major win like Leo did, but similar to Leo, he was very consistent with his placements, and he did win first at a few different tournaments during this ranking season, getting first at Level Up Expo and Momocon. But yeah, a pretty good spot for Light. Now, getting into the top five, we have Tweak, and it definitely feels a bit weird to see Tweak be two spots higher over MKLeo as they have always been the ones fighting for first place with Tweak usually being the one playing catch up. But it's been pretty exciting to see his performance this season with a first at Let's Make Big Moves, second at Ultimate Summit 6, second at Level Up Expo, and a lot of other really great placements with fifth at Crown the Third, ninth at Battle of BC, and seventh at Gommel. And so I'm excited to see what he continues to do in the next season. But yeah, cool to see him in the top five as he is kind of the last one of the old guard of the top players when the game came out that was in this top five. So moving on to number four, we have Sonics. And obviously, you know Sonics. We've talked about him so much in the last few weeks, but yeah, he got fourth, and I think this is definitely deserved. I feel like prior to the last couple months, though he has been a player that people have had a lot of focus on, he definitely felt a bit slept on 
when people talked about rankings because even though he didn't have a major win, he is so, so consistent at every tournament that he goes to that it just felt like a no-brainer that he was put this high. And so he had fourth at Genesis 9, third at Let's Make Big Moves. Obviously, he got first at Gommel, which was the final tournament in this ranking season, which I'm sure helped him get this high spot. He had fifth at Collision, and yeah, just a great season overall for him. And I'm sure he's only going to do better and better as we get into the next season. And now moving on to third, we have Mia, who is a player that we have also talked about quite a bit. He really had a breakout season these last few months as I feel like people didn't really realize how good he was until this season. With him placing first at a ton of the majors in Japan, as well as placing very well when he did come over to North America, placing fifth at Battle of BC. And so I'm excited to see what he does going forward as Game & Watch is a character that people are really starting to give respect to. And Mia is also a player that people are starting to realize is a lot better than they might have thought initially. And now getting into the number one and two who have been the biggest topic of conversation going into these rankings is Bargo at number two and Akola at number one. And so I've talked so much about these players and you probably know who I think deserves to be the number one spot. I definitely think Spargo is the top player right now. He has won so much this season. He has wins over literally every top player, including a huge winning record against Akola. And while he may not be the most consistent, placing ninth at Crown, fifth at Genesis 9, and 13th at Smash Summit, which was his worst placement, by far this season. It just feels like with a head-to-head -head that's so good against the player that's ranked number one, even if he doesn't win literally every single tournament that he goes to, it just feels like to me it's obvious that he's the better player. And I say this, but obviously it's not like this massive, massive difference and he was cheated out of this victory on the rankings because even Spargo has said he knows that he's the better player and he doesn't really mind if he didn't get the number one spot on the rankings because the rankings isn't always about who the best player is. It's sometimes about who has just won the most. And if you think about it that way, you can see why Akola did get the win this season because he didn't go to as many of the super majors as Spargo did, but the ones that he did go to, he definitely made count as he got first at Umebura, he got first at Maisuma, first at Ultimate Summit 6, first at Kagaribi 9, second at Kagaribi 10, second at Battle of EC, and first at a lot of other tournaments in Japan. And so looking at that, it is clear why he did get the top spot, but I feel like it could be argued that Spargo deserved it if you're going by the skill differential between these two players. But yeah, I think that's all I want to talk about for the top 10. I think the rankings were really exciting this year. Before I end off this episode, I just want to go through a couple of the players that have been pretty notable this season that weren't in the top 10, as well as one player that I was excited to see be ranked so high because they've always been my personal favorite player. So first we had Gluttony at 11th, and I think he could have been placed a bit higher, at least in the top 10, because he has had a really good season and he's generally one of the players that I think people can 
pretty firmly say is in the top 10. And while Yoshidora had a very good season in Japan, Gluttony has traveled a lot more and has been to more events that I think kind of earns him that top spot, especially being the number one player in Europe. Next, we had Zamba at 13th, and I think this was a fair ranking for him, but I'm definitely excited to see how he'll fare in the next season because while he has been a top player for a while now, he's definitely seemed like he's been on the rise near the end of the season. So I definitely think he is going to be able to crack the top 10 in the next ranking. But 13th was definitely a very good spot for him. We had Mudes at 16th and Mudes is a player that I think deserved to be around this spot. I don't think he was quite at the top 10 level especially with some lackluster placements at a few different tournaments. But other than some outliers, he did have a very consistent season. And I'm curious to see how he does next season, if he can hopefully get rid of some of those more inconsistent tournament placings. And then at 23rd, we had SkyJ, who has also been on the rise this season, playing in Cineroar, which has been very exciting to see. And I'm definitely excited to see how he does next season as... I don't think he is showing any signs of slowing down and really the only thing that I think could hinder him is if people get used to his character and learn more how to take advantage of the character's setbacks. But at least until now, that hasn't seemed like that's going to be something that will happen. So I'm curious to see if he can keep his hot streak going. But next at 24th, we have DeBuzz who is another player that for a long time has felt like they could be a top 10 player. And so seeing him at 24th was definitely a bit of a surprise, but it just goes to show just how close things are, like I was talking about before, because with a player like DeBuzz being at 24th, it really just shows how close things are, because you could easily say that he's close to top 10, but he's 14 spots off of that. And then the last player that I just want to mention, because I think... It was pretty funny that they got ranked this high and also a bit surprising was Mars at 34th. And it was a bit disappointing. They didn't give him the 33rd to give a bit of a callback to the 33rd meme. But I think it's pretty cool that he got ranked this high. He was always my favorite player and it's been a shame to see him not compete as much the last year or so. But I think it's really cool that the few tournaments that he did go to earned him such a high spot because... When he does go to tournaments, he places super high, and I think people forget just how good he is. And just giving a little bit of a spoiler into the future, he did come to SmashCon this year, which is happening as I record this, and it seems like he's doing pretty well so far. So who knows, maybe he'll have an even better placement next season. But yeah, I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to him because it's always cool to see him end up high on the rankings because it serves as a bit of a reminder that He's still around, and he can still take some names if he decides to. And so with that all out of the way, thanks for listening to this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I'm excited for next episode because we're going to be talking about SmashCon, which is a huge tournament, and I've already looked at the bracket a little bit as it's happening, and there have been some very, very unexpected upsets that have already happened at this tournament, and the top eight is looking pretty interesting. So... Yeah, that'll be a very exciting episode, so definitely tune into that, and I'll see you next time.